This program is made possible by the members and donors to the show. For details, visit the membership tab at bestoftheleft.com. Now, welcome to the award-winning Best of the Left podcast with clips today from the Tom Hartman Program, the Majority Report, the Young Turks, the Media Matters Minute, the David Pakman Show, the Rachel Maddow Show, the Jimmy Dore Show, Counterspin, and On the Media. And not to stoke any unnecessary fear, but I haven't heard anyone say specifically that you can't catch Ebola from watching conservative media. So, just a word to the wise. It's been reported that there may be a second Ebola victim in Dallas. This would be a uh, close relative or friend of the guy who is right now in critical condition in the Dallas hospital. And this person is also being quarantined and being carefully monitored. And it will probably stop there, although it may it may go a little farther. But the fact of the matter is that they're paying attention. Now, here's the one of the things that I find so ironic about all this. The... Uh, this this idea that brown people coming to the United States, particularly children from Central America, are somehow a horrible public health threat to us. I'd like you to keep in mind that Guatemala has a national health care system. In Texas, Rick Perry's Texas, George W. Bush's Texas, there are 6.4 million Texans, a quarter of the population, who have no health health insurance. And Texas children are vaccinated at lower rates than Guatemalan children. Why are we not talking about Texas? You want to talk about Ebola? You want to talk about public health? You want to talk about kids coming across the border who might be contagious with something? Oh, my God. Back to uh, clip number one here from uh, from Michael Weiner performing as Michael Savage. It, just to remind you. That means because Obama broke down our borders and has eliminated any testing or screening of illegal aliens, whether they be coming from Guatemala, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Honduras, or now from Africa. Because of this open-door policy, the CDC has confirmed the first Ebola case in the United States. This is heartbreaking. It's an act of treason. The treason was committed by your government. All right. And he goes on to say that Obama should be impeached for this. We do have an open door policy. It's called uh, visitors visas. We get millions of I, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I used to work in the travel business. I, Louise and I opened a started a travel business in, in Atlanta in 1983, sold it in 86. And there are... I think it's over a million people a month. It might be over a million people a week. I mean, there's like millions of people who come to the United States every day. Go out, you know, I, I fly out of Dulles Airport. There's planes coming in from all over the world and people are coming off the planes and they, they're, you know, they don't speak English or they, they, they're, they're, they got their phrase books. I mean, it's like, it's like being in Paris and seeing all the Americans walking through. Of course, we've got millions of people coming through this country. Some of them come in here without documentation. Does that mean that they're more likely to be spreading disease? No. But, you know, this is this is the this is the right wing world is let's not talk about Rick Perry keeping a quarter of Texans from having health insurance. Let's not talk about that because that's an actual public health crisis. Let's instead talk about impeaching President Obama because a guy flew over here from Liberia, and when he got to Dallas, he got sick with with uh, Ebola. And this is some kind of treasonous conspiracy on the part of a black president 
who who has overseen Detroit collapsing the same way South Africa did for obviously the same reasons. Equal rights for black people? Presumably, I don't know. I you know it's but it's pretty amazing. I mean it's uh, in fact is uh, clip number 6. Uh, just play this one. Uh, this this is really worth I, especially the lily maybe maybe he met it hyperbolically I mean, let's let's cut michael weiner a little little slack here here he is uh, performing as michael savage clip number and six. they are responsible for this just as they are responsible for bringing infected children in from central america and doing nothing to stop it they are now responsible for permitting ebola to arrive on our shores the wonders of nature that permitted this this nation to be miraculously, almost miraculously isolated from third world diseases is now over. We're devolving from a third, from a first world nation almost into a second world nation right in front of our eyes. What happened in South Africa will soon be happening throughout America. Study South Africa and see what happens with the wonders of diversity. Take a look at cities and towns that were once thriving, clean, White. Safe, efficient. They look like wreckages, like like war, like war zones. They're full of black people now. Sort of like Detroit, inner cities here in America. Who are you going to blame it on now? Now that Ebola has come to Dallas, me? No, it's obviously the fault of the black people. We get it, Michael. Uh, so, anyhow, I just, I, I, I really don't. No, I, 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 you know, I really do understand the, you know, the right wing meme. Don't. Blame Rick Perry. Don't blame George W. Bush. Don't blame the Republicans who won't expand Medicaid. Don't blame the fact that we have a, a public health system in this country that, I mean, in Texas yesterday, their, their state legislature got together and they were trying to decide how could we possibly negotiate with the Obama administration to take those billions of dollars to expand Medicaid, but skim some of it off the top for our for-profit brothers and sisters how do we how do we make sure like, can we do it like arkansas did can we take the money and instead of giving it directly to to pay for people's hospital bills you know directly for insurance uh through medicaid can we take that money and give it to for-profit insurance companies so they can skim 20 percent off the top and kick that back to the republican party in the form of campaign donations can we do that that was what the texas texas legislature was discussing yesterday and they seem pretty pessimistic about that, because even that would mean expanding health care for poor people. And, oh, my God, we can't have that. They're poor, after all. They shouldn't have health insurance. Huffington Post is reporting that Dr. Francis Collins, the head of the National Institute of Health, said a decade of stagnant spending has slowed down research on all items, including vaccinations, vaccinations for infectious diseases. NIH has been working on Ebola vaccines since 2001. It's not like we suddenly woke up and thought, oh, my gosh, we should have something uh, ready here. Collins told the Huffington Post on Friday, frankly, if we had not gone through our 10-year slide in research support, we probably would have had a vaccine in time for this uh, that would have gone through clinical trials and would have been re ready. 
So not only thanks to austerity, the sequester, I'm sure, set that back significantly. And remember, now that they're focusing all their um, attention on Ebola, who knows what other vaccines are not being developed. But it's also a great lesson in the libertarian paradise. That is a place like, let's say, Liberia, where they don't have so much government involvement in these things. There's no money in an Ebola vaccine until it's a little bit late in the game. And even then, just one more function uh, of a uh, competent government. NIH's purchasing power is down 23% from what it was a decade, a decade ago. Its budget has remained almost static. So remember when those uh, smarty pants... Politicians will say to you, they in Washington think the lack of uh, uh, an increase is the same as a cut. Well, this is what they're talking about, or in the reverse. Inflation goes up, things become more expensive. If you don't have an increase to keep pace with inflation, then guess what? Well, I guess it is a cut. In fiscal year 2004, the agency's budget was $28.03 billion. In 2013, it was $29.3 billion. Barely a change even before adjusting for inflation. The situation is even more pronounced at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases subdivision of NIH, where the budget has fallen from $4.3 billion in fiscal year 2004 to $4.25 billion in fiscal year 2013. And you know what? Here's, I'm going to take a little guess. There's more infectious diseases that are making their way every day. More anti-antibiotic resistant strains of different uh, viruses, etc., etc. As the innocent die, your rulers carry the shame. And if we stand idly by, we share in the blame. And all Pop psychologist Keith Ablo, a regular on Fox News, is back with uh, more insight into how President Barack Obama's brain works, this time in an editorial about why he feels that Barack Obama is not doing enough to stop uh, both Ebola and possibly ISIS fighters from getting inside of the United States and wreaking havoc. Uh, if you have to vomit during this, feel free to pause the video, come back afterward. Uh, but this is what Keith Ablo said. I believe the president may literally believe we should suffer along with less fortunate nations. And if he does, that is a very dangerous psychological stance from from which to confront Ebola. Let me say this plainly as a psychiatrist who has studied this president only from a distance. In order for President Obama to keep thinking of himself as the leader of the world and not just the free world, it may be that our boundaries must remain porous, allowing illegal immigrants and potentially even diseases to flow through them. The toll of having a president who seems to see America as having no particular manifest destiny may be seen in the spread of ISIS abroad. 
And it could be seen, God forbid, in not mounting a sufficient immune defense here at home to Ebola. Saying so, even at the risk of offending some or many, is the first step here taken to make it not so. I've got one comment on this. If Ebola converts to radical Islam, we are fucked. <laughs> well, uh, then Ebola will leave its uh, prayer rugs in the we'll southern border and uh, we'll know it's here. Uh, this guy is psychotic. And, uh, and at this point, he might have crossed the threshold where even Fox News is a little embarrassed of him. Mm. Uh, well, we haven't seen any evidence to that effect. <laughs> they, they keep having him on. But, but like Obama hates the country so much that he's going to bring Ebola here to make us suffer and make us like lesser countries. Yeah. So, well, but, but can but anyone really believe that? Can normally I would say yes. I he think stands 30% out. Thirty percent of the American public can yeah. believe that. Insert, Based on everything we've read about the American public, thirty yeah. percent. Insert that. name of something that scares yeah. white people is coming across the border. <laughs> it's, it's also you know it's also because he doesn't understand it and what the big issues are. You, you have to combat Ebola in Africa. You have to send resources there to do it because once it gets out, like okay, you had the guy in Texas who in Dallas turned out not to have it. Thank goodness, you know the cop. But let's say five or six people got it, and someone got on a plane here or mm -hmm. something else. It's not just about not laying in the United States. It'll happen everywhere unless you stop it in Africa. So the reason why I'm saying that is because we've sent all those troops there to help with the infrastructure so that it doesn't spread. Because if it does spread to, let's say, Spain, where it has a little bit, right, and then next thing you know, UK, next thing you know, everywhere, well, then you can't stop all the flights from all the countries in the world. You go to the source and you try to help. But instead, guys like Louis Gohmert said he sent the troops to go get Ebola and bring it back yeah. here, yeah. right? Like that, but these guys are lunatics. They believe in insane stuff well, like they, this. They'd also understand that, you know, an advanced uh, country like Nigeria was able to stop Ebola from spreading. <laughs> I mean, it can be done if you have the resources. But a country like, you know, Liberia or Sierra Leone that's gone through decades of civil war and, and upheaval, they, they just don't have what it takes mm -hmm. to stop it. Now, normally I would say he does seem like a crazy person, but as you said, Louis Gohmert, who's not just a pundit, he's not just some radio conservative, he's an elected official. He said, we sent troops to go, to go there to die. Rush Limbaugh also saying that uh, Obama seems to think that we deserve to suffer for this because of white guilt over slavery from our past. Like, he is not alone in this. Um, I mean, they, they, will go, they will stop at nothing to basically denigrate the president at this point. But they've been saying this his entire administration. Every issue it is, is he's trying to make America weaker. He's trying to weaken America. He's trying to, you know, get back at America because his dad was black. It's just, it's racism and it's people who don't quite understand the way the world works. Yeah, and it plays on their deepest fears. I mean, you know, they're, you know uh, particularly, you know, southern voters, Texas, they're so terrified of anything, any foreign entity, whether it's a virus or an individual or a group coming across the, the borders, you know, it's such a reactionary policy to anything. You know, they even believe these Guantan, you know, the uh, Guatemalan kids are carrying Ebola mm. uh, across the border, you know, rather than fleeing from the social circumstances that they are. Yeah, but so, so this is an interesting phenomenon that, you know, approximately 30% of the country has lost its mind, right? <laughs> Maybe they never had the mind in the first place to lose. No, they never had. I think right? it used to be like 60% of us had lost our mind, yeah. and then 30% of us were like, oh, oh, now I understand things. And you still have that hardcore... But look at this weird imbalance. So, you know, we have a lot of issues with Democrats on this show, weak, feckless, purposely so oftentimes because they take the same amount of money from donors as the Republicans do, so they're paid to lose, all that stuff, right? But there's not a 30% of the country that is 
insane liberal with conspiracy theories about you know like six percent yeah yeah i agree i agree there's probably is the six percent who think uh, you know bush assassinated uh, you know every person who's ever lived whatever right but that is not a real contingent of the democratic party i mean that's non-existent in the democratic party it's not a real contingent about among liberal or progressive pundits for the republicans it's yeah, for Republicans, it's nearly the mainstream, as you point out. I mean, Rush Limbaugh, you got elected congressman, you got this guy on Fox News, and they put out this insane conspiracy theories, and people eat it up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. He want he Obama brought us Ebola. Laura Ingram said the same thing. He uh, Obama brought Ebola into the country, right? So cuckoo for cocoa puffs, well, right? And we're having a conversation and a re- so-called real debate with these lunatics. Well, conspiracy theories, you know, work so well in a populace where you know people are unable to discern between, uh, or confl- you know, they conflate opinion from fact number one, and also conspiracy theories give stupid people a simple understanding of why bad things happen in the world. Yeah. So yeah. without having to understand nuance and, and complex foreign policy issues or geopolitical issues, issues or history, yeah, Islam is all bad, for example, and that's the root of why everything yeah. bad is happening well, in the world. So, and you know, and it can be applied to any... It's not just policy. American, though. It, it's worldwide. I mean, if you look at all the problems that went through the Balkans in the 90s and, and going through the world today in a lot of places, you know, I've got a good friend who's a Serb. He goes, the problem was it's the people in the village. Mm-hmm. And good yeah, answer. and it is. It's yeah, yeah. the village people. <laughs> We're like, we must get those guys who are gay and do this and try and destroy us. And yeah. that's how they think. Yeah, like, yeah. because they can't see outside the village. And, yeah. and it's our own version of the village people here. Specifically, the, the, the 30% who are willing to believe these conspiracy theories about, about Ebola is, I think that we're just naturally reaping what Fox has sown since it started in that they've been telling people every day on every issue, uh, don't trust colleges, it's better to be ignorant, and don't trust scientists. They're all, they're all together, they're just doing it for the money. And so they don't trust them on climate change. And now, you know, I, I forget which Fox host it was. Oh, I think it was Hannity. Said he wouldn't even go to the CDC's, he wouldn't show footage from the CDC's hearing about Ebola because he says he doesn't trust them. The yeah. CDC. He just yeah. fundamentally thinks that they're not trustworthy. So what, are, what is his audience going to take from that? Yeah. They're not going to trust any health official now. So I don't think it's a coincidence to tie all these points together. I don't think it's a coincidence that the same 30% of the country that believes in fundamentalist religion easy answers right as cj said oh yeah god the guy up in the sky he controls everything there's nothing i can do about it is the same thirty percent who believes in easy answers through conspiracy theories so of course obama a black man wants to destroy the country for punishment for slavery that's why he brought in ebola and isis problem solved right <laughs> that makes as much sense to their mind though as saying there's a supreme all-powerful being who's given me this amazing sex drive but he's going to kill me and punish me forever for actually listening to it. It's the same type of thinking because it doesn't make sense. It doesn't require logic.
This is the Media Matters Minute. I'm Coleman Lowndes. Right-wing media figures have come to the outrageous conclusion that President Obama is purposely trying to infect Americans with Ebola. Here's conservative radio host Michael Savage. There is not a sane reason to take three or 4,000 troops and send them into a hot Ebola zone without expecting at least one of them to come back with Ebola, unless you want to infect the nation with Ebola. ABC News and Fox News contributor Laura Ingram suggested that President Obama wants to expose American soldiers to Ebola as a means of redistributing American wealth. The military is just another tool in his arsenal to level the playing field, right? I mean, in other words, Africa really deserves more of America's money because we're people of privilege. If a few American military personnel have to be exposed to the Ebola virus to carry out this redistribution of the privileged wealth, then so be it. There's something really, really interesting happening, ladies and gentlemen, around the discussion of Ebola, which is that it is now starting to be tied in, the right-wing opposition to whatever it is that President Obama does with regard to Ebola, is starting to be tied in to other very extensive positions of the right that involve race-baiting, that involve uh, obstructionism, and I'm going to give you one very specific example of this. Uh, just a few days ago, the Laura Ingram show, Laura Ingram, the one of the most popular, actually, radio hosts in the country, right-wing radio host, she was talking on her program about her assertion that liberals want people to die from Ebola because it would serve some greater purpose. And what purpose is that? It would help to redeem liberals for their guilt over how black people from Africa were treated. And this is a really common theme, Lewis, where li uh, uh, liberals are accused of wanting the white man, so to, so, so to speak, to suffer because of what they did to Africans. And Ebola is now playing into this. Listen to this clip from the Laura Ingram program. Moments where people have been honest about this on the left where they, in their heart of hearts, they really think if a few Americans have to be infected, and even a few Americans or more than that have to die hmm. to make the lives of Africans better, well, that's just what has to happen. We, we owe a great debt to other countries in the world, including Africa, and if Americans have to die to repay that debt, then we just have to die. Yeah. So first of all, she refers to the U.S. owing a debt to other countries like Africa. Africa, not a country, but I know Sarah Palin also thought the same thing. Apparently some confusion on the right about is Africa a continent or a country. But putting aside that just obvious absurdity, Laura Ingram here maintaining this. We have a debt. We have a debt, and typically what's implicit here is because of slavery, because of discrimination, because of how minorities have been treated in this country, and one way in Laura Ingram's demented mind that liberals could repay that debt is by allowing people in the U.S. to become infected with Ebola and die, maybe because it would just be some kind of punishment, maybe because that would lead to some kind of vaccine. And this is truly dangerous rhetoric, Lewis. This is, this is race-baiting rhetoric. Uh, I've met a lot of liberals. Uh, we might be called liberals. <laughs> uh, we listen to liberals talk all the time. Not once in my life, has any liberal ever expressed this sentiment to me? No, and of, in fact, it's quite the opposite, Lewis. Yeah. It, yeah. It, I mean, we've been talking 
if we've been saying since June 27th, when we first covered Ebola, when there were only 300 cases in Africa, and we were saying nobody in the U.S. cares, we're not paying attention to this, this is going to spread, why not get involved now? Our position as liberals, as progressives, would be let's get involved early enough so that no one has to die or we can stop the deaths regardless of what country they're in. Because the, as we know, Lewis, Ebola doesn't check for imaginary barriers, uh, 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 frontiers drawn, borders drawn between countries on maps, and it doesn't check party affiliation either. As an anti-consumerism advocate, I'd like to encourage you to shop less, don't buy things you don't need, and only buy the necessities from local, independently owned businesses. That said, if you don't take this good advice, then at least there's a way to shop that helps support this show at the same time. Simply click through to Amazon.com, Amazon.ca, or Amazon.co.uk from the banner at bestofleft.com to shop at just one of the major companies with the insatiable profit incentive to help perpetuate the destructive paradigm of overconsumption and exploitative capital. Better yet, go ahead and click through to the Amazon site that serves your country just once, and then bookmark it to use every time you shop, which should be as rarely as possible. Your shopping experience will be identical to normal, it will cost you nothing extra, but 7-8% to of the cost of your order in soulless corporate blood money will be siphoned off and used to tremendously support the production of this show. Thanks for doing the right thing, whether that be rejecting consumerism altogether, or at least consuming in a subversive way. If you watched any of the news today, paid attention to the headlines or anything, you are forgiven if you felt a little nauseated when you realized today that the word of the day in today's news was once again going to be the word czar. This used to be a normal word, right? Before five years ago, this was a normal word. In regular conversation, regular political analysis, even talk about policy and getting stuff done, or even if you were just talking about Russian history, whatever, used to be a normal word. It did not give you that dread hairball feeling that as much as you might want to try to swallow another Fox and Friends discussion about the word czar, this one just wasn't going to go all the way down. It was going to get stuck right about there and never, never ever clear your airway. The word czar, if the word, if, I can't believe, if the word czar makes you have a bad feeling now, it is for a reason. It is because of what we went through as a country surrounding this word in 2009, in the first year of the Barack Obama presidency. Do you remember, do you remember what Fox News was like about this word in 2009? Do you remember what it was like, the whole czar thing back then? This is real. Just to remind you, this is real. We did not make this up. We did not edit it in any way. This is from the television uh, in 2009. He's now appointed a border czar, another czar. You know, when I looked up czar in the dictionary or Googled it, the word that came up was king. And I was wondering to myself why we are having so many czars slash kings now in America. Does anyone have the answer for me? 
every problem has a czar. King of the king of the border, king of drugs, king of the car problem. The king, of the world. king of the world. Oh wait, that's Leonardo DiCaprio. Actually, when you think about it, czar is a, a Russian word, and we've actually on the big screen over there we put up uh, the Russian czars through history. Yeah, there's four of them. Uh, and then when you when you uh, look at the number of czars we've got right now, it, and there's another four right there, and it keeps going on. When you look at the number of czars. In the United States. <laughs> Here's some interesting headgear. Yeah, look, we've got a border czar, screen left, and we've got a drug czar, we've got a. Uh, well, these are actually czar. present day people. Yeah, yeah with, with no, mustaches. These are czars. <laughs> these are members oh, of Barack I I Obama's cabinet. Whoa. He's installed a bunch of czars. Look at that. I thought I lived in America. In the big headline. And now we're Russia. Yeah, that is what it was like. That is why the word czar makes your stomach curdle like old milk in a dirty bottle left in the sun. Because, because that is how the whole czar idea got talked about on places like Fox News when we went through this last as a country in 2009. I should say, uh, as its redeeming value, though, is that that particular Fox News segment did actually lead to one of the greatest daily show rejoinders of all time. And God forbid all these czars we hear about Obama appointing, you know, the ones that never seemed to bother anyone when they were appointed during the Bush years. You know, when I looked up czar in the dictionary or Googled it, the word that came up was king. And I was wondering to myself why we are having so many czars slash kings now in America. Czar? <laughs> you didn't know what a czar was. How do you get a job on television? If you appear to be one of those people who need to pin their address to their coat so a stranger can help them find their way home. Unless, 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 unless you're just dumbing yourself down to connect with an audience that you think sees intellect as an elitist flaw. But that'd be easy to check. So I googled Gretchen Carlson. And, and guess what came up? She was valedictorian of her high school and went to Stanford and graduated with honors and spent time studying abroad at Oxford. Yeah, not the Mississippi Oxford. The Europe one. Not to mention she won the Miss America crown in 1989 by doing this. Classical violin rendition of De Sarasate's Zigunerweisen. <laughs> and if you know anything about Zigunerweisen, you know that's one of the harder lisens. <laughs> to Zigunner. Just because you're on the couch with Dra Jack Tripper and Janet doesn't mean you have to pretend <laughs> to be Chrissy. So, I don't want to have to turn you on tomorrow and see you're actually surprised that the interior secretary is in charge of the outside stuff. <laughs> From now on, I want to see you give it 120%. So yes, the czar's thing was painfully stupid in a way that still hurts 
five years later, right? You can still feel how stupid that all was. But in the first year of the Obama presidency, the controversy over President Obama appointing point people, managers, to coordinate the administration's response on specific policy matters, it really was a huge conservative media freakout and a huge Republican Party freakout in Washington. I mean, of all the dumb political stories of that first year of the Obama presidency, it was the biggest of the dumbest stories. The czars are the issue. We have about two dozen so-called czars, the pay czar, the car czar, all these czars in the White House. And that really is an affront to the President of the United States should cease and desist with the appointment of any additional czars. And what I filed is H.R. 3569, which is called the SAC Act. This bill would sunset all czars effective December 31st of this year. You know, the Constitution of the United States um, doesn't get read often enough in this building. Nowhere in this document can I find the word czar. But who came up with czar? But Johnson, who came up with czar? Because it didn't really work out that well for the last official czar. So who came up with that? I could see what cars are because it rhymes. Well, but all the other ones just sort of fell to me on deaf ears. I think that the uh, the president just likes the term. I, I don't know. As you know, Tsarist Russia had 18 czars over a 300-year period of time, and maybe that's the model for this administration. I don't, I don't really know. I don't really. I don't really know. Maybe this president just likes the idea of turning us into Russia, and not the good Putin Russia either. The bad mustache, 300 years, 18 czars, kind of czars. That specific congressman there lamenting the sound of the word czar on Fox News, he is named Jack Kingston. He was one of the Republican members of Congress who filed legislation. Uh, it wasn't just the SAC Act. Uh, no, no the, the Jack Kingston legislation would have blocked the president's ability to appoint a czar in government, to appoint a person to coordinate the administration's action on an area of policy, which before 2009 was a totally uncontroversial technique of modern American governance that nobody talked about in a way that made you hate the sound of that word. That was our national experience in 2009, right? But 2009 really was sort of the heat of the moment around that. Into, into 2010 and then into 2011, uh, Republicans and our friends at, at the Fox News Channel, they did move on to other sources of excitement. Uh, there was the new Black Panther Party they got very excited about. Those four homeless guys who braid their beard hair in Philadelphia, who Fox News decided had secretly taken over the country. That pretty much riveted them for all of 2010. Only Fox News can tell you the truth about that. It was 2010. There was the Obamacare thing to get excited about as well. Uh, so uh, after 2009, they did get into other things, and they forgot a little bit after 2009 that they really did hate these czars so much, and that was the most important issue in Washington. They forgot enough about how much they hated czars that by the time the Ebola crisis rolled around this year in 2014, this same guy who introduced the anti-Czar bill, who said the whole reason we have czars is because President Obama just likes the sound of it because he wants to turn us into Russia. That same congressman this year just published this op-ed. We need an Ebola czar, my congressman Jack Kingston. And we know he wrote his own headline for this one because he posted it on his own congressional website under his own picture. We need an Ebola czar, says the man who tried to ban czars. Jerry Moran from Kansas, Frank Wolf from Virginia, they both co-sponsored the Jack Kingston anti-Czar bill. They just put out a joint statement demanding that the Obama administration uh, have an Ebola czar. 
Uh, John McCain, back in 2009, he had been smugly tweeting about the Romanovs and how Barack Obama had more czars than the actual czars had czars. Now, that was 2009. John McCain went on CNN. Now, this year, to stare his former self in the face and say, Niet, niet, das vidanya, old John McCain. New John McCain likes a czar. In fact, demands a czar. I would say that uh, we don't know exactly who's in charge. Uh, there has to be some kind of czar. There has to be some kind I do not know whether this sort of thing is evidence of the fact that smart people do not go into politics anymore or if this is the reason that smart people don't go into politics anymore because our politics is like this. But this really is how stupid our politics is around issues like czars and stuff. So it almost goes without saying that after Republicans this year have been quite unselfconsciously clamoring for President Obama to appoint an Ebola czar, demanding that he appoint an Ebola czar, saying he's being irresponsible as long as he doesn't appoint an Ebola czar. Now that President Obama today appointed an Ebola czar, the Republican response, say it with me now, we don't need an Ebola czar. That was the response today from Senator Ted Cruz of Texas. Here at Best of the Left, we know that it's not enough just to stay informed. You need to get active if you actually want to change the world for the better. That's why we promote great activism opportunities every chance we get. Also, I can only reach so many people on my own, but with your help, we can extend that reach. The episode show notes are most likely available on the device you're using to listen right now, and if they're not, you can see them on the website. Simply click the title of any segment you want to share and then easily post it to your social networks or send it directly to friends. You joining these actions and helping amplify the show to get even more people involved is critical to our mission to change the world for the better. Get started right now in the show notes on the device you're using or visit the website from any device at bestoftheleft.com. Okay, so now we're going to talk about the Ebola hearings they had in uh, Congress today, which they had the CDC, this uh, head of the CDC was there to answer questions. And uh, the Republicans kept bringing up that they want to have a travel ban. This starts on Fox News, the Drudge Report, Glenn Beck. That's where it starts. And then the politicians start repeating it because it's uh, it sounds like you're being tough. And that's what they're all about, phony toughness. You know, fake, let's keep foreign, foreigners out. That's uh, So the guy from the CDC, the head of the CDC, says, no, you can't do that because that will just create more problems because people will just try to get around our travel ban and then we won't be able to track them. Well, this is exactly what he said. This is why he doesn't want to uh, do this. Borders can be porous, especially, may I finish? Especially in this part of the world. We won't be able to check them for fever when they leave. We won't be able to check them for fever when they arrive. We won't be able, as we do currently, to take a detailed history to see if they were exposed when they arrive. When they arrive, we wouldn't be able to impose quarantine as we now can if they have high-risk contact. We wouldn't be able to obtain detailed locating information, which we do now, including uh, not only name and date of birth, but email addresses, cell phone numbers, address, addresses of friends, so that we could identify and locate them. We wouldn't be able to provide all of that information as we do now to state and local health departments so that they can monitor them under supervision. We wouldn't be able to impose uh, controlled release, conditional release on them. 
so there's a myriad, so there are myriad reasons, and I like to use that word because it sounds better than many. So there are myriad <laughs> reasons uh, to not impose a travel ban. I'm, All I'm those things. At a Marriott hotel. <laughs> I've stayed at a Marriott hotel. They're nice. So. This is what he's saying. You, if you do this, all these unintended consequences of trying to impose a travel ban, this is what's going to happen, okay? So that's why we don't do it. In fact, the the uh, head of the border control here, Luke Rustard, even had a little bit more information about this. Watch this. So there you hear Dr. Frieden giving the reasons as to why a travel ban would not be conducive to actually protect the United States, saying that it would prohibit his agency's ability to monitor who exactly is coming into the country, what their symptoms are. His That was backed up by the commissioner of the uh, Customs and Border Patrol, who was testifying next to him, essentially, essentially saying that if we were to go down that path, people would find other ways to sneak into the country and it could be troublesome. Okay, so so we heard from the head of the CDC why you don't want to have a travel ban. You also heard Luke Russert said that the head of the border control also backed up the CDC. So we got a scientist, we got a doctor, we got a C, we got the border control. And then Luke Russert goes on MSNBC, which stands for Microsoft NBC, <laughs> and and he says and he says this. He says this is this was his big takeaway from the hearing. But I would really say the main thing that jumped out to me from this hearing was how political it got regarding the question of whether or not there should be a travel ban from West Africa to the United States. Now, what he's saying is it was amazing how political it got. How political it got. It didn't get political. What happened was the Republicans pushed back against the scientists again. They pushed back against science and the best practices and all that in, in order to fearmonger. In order to to make theater out of this, which is what they were doing, right? And the and the Democrats and the and the agreed with the scientists, agreed with the border control, agreed with the world. So the Demo so it's Republicans were pushing back against reality again, which is happens over and over, right? That's the, but they say if you don't tell kids about sex, they won't get pregnant. It's that that those people, even though the science says that abstinence, so they're just denying science again, like climate change. Uh, Evolution. Here they are again. The best way to handle a bull is is to listen to the scientists, and this is what they say. But Luke Russert says that it's really a rift between the Democrats and Republicans. Let's hear him say it again. I would really say the main thing that jumped out to me from this hearing was how political it got regarding the question of whether or not there should be a travel ban from West Africa to the United States. That seems to have been the partisan fault line here between Republicans and Democrats. It wasn't a fault line between. Re <laughs> It wasn't a fault line between Republicans and Democrats, Luke. It was a fault line between Republicans and the rest of the world. <laughs> and reality. And reality, yes. It was Republicans pushing back again against reality, but Luke Russert cannot help himself and frame it as, ah, the Democrats said this, the Republicans said that. No, the Democrats, along with the rest of the world. <laughs> I don't know, Jimmy. You know, the Republicans are uh, against all these uh, needless regulations. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know what? I, you know, as I was listening, Jimmy, the main thing that jumped out at me was I, I thought uh, there needed to be a travel ban to Texas. Yeah. How about, how about, <laughs> yeah, why don't we put a travel ban to Texas? We see how that's working out. So that's so... Luke, Luke also... Um, <laughs> I was going to interview uh, fictional characters from literature to find out what they think about all of this. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> 
You know, if we put a travel ban on Texas, they're just going to the Texans are just going to go into uh, Arizona into America. Yes, that's right. <laughs> and we can't have that. Yeah. That would screw things up. Okay, if yeah. we can't do a travel ban, can we just do a headband on Rick Perry? Let's do a headband. If we can't do a travel ban. So he says a little bit more. Republicans really calling for that travel ban. Yes. Republicans really calling for the travel ban. So he, he and then he wraps up the interview. He came back on like an hour later. I was watching the the cycle and he's he wrapped it up with this. A lot of the hearing, I got to tell you guys, we were expecting to hear more about, you know, was the administration lacking? Why was the CDC lacking here or there? It really turned into a battle about the travel ban, which just shows you that even something like Ebola can turn into yeah. politics on yeah. Capitol Hill. Okay, it didn't turn into politics. <laughs> it was one party again being off the rails, bat crap crazy, like they've been over a lot of things. Can I, do you want me to list them? Evolution, climate change, Barack Obama's birth certificate, death panels, and now they're, Benghazi. And now they're doing that. What else did the IRS phony scandal, the Benghazi phony? Now they're saying this, they're pushing, this isn't politics, Luke. This is again, one party being detached from reality. This isn't politics. I, Frank, am I wrong about this? No, it is politics, but he, he 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 couches it as it's two sides of an issue. Yes, you know, it's, it's one uh, Democrats believe that we should listen to the experts, but there's another point of view that uh, we should just ignore what the experts <laughs> say, and, 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 and those two things deserve equal weight. And uh, and and that's the way I'm going to pre- that's the way he presents everything. That is the way he presents everything as if exact exactly it couldn't be hey exact that's a great way to put it Frank yeah the Democrats say hey let's listen to the experts the Republicans said let's not listen to the experts those are two equally valid opinions it's more of the more of the false equivalency that's been fooling the American public for the last forty years. Corporate media's panicky coverage of Ebola has spilled over into discussions about the state of Washington politics in general. One angle has been the fact that the United States doesn't have a Surgeon General, who presumably could be a high-profile voice of reason right now. On CBS's Face the Nation, host Bob Schieffer and Gerald Seib of the Wall Street Journal chalked it up to Washington being broken. Seib referred to the inability to get anything done in Congress. And on Meet the Press, one senator said the problem was Washington dysfunction. But the story is actually a lot deeper than that, and it deserves to be explained. Barack Obama's nominee, Vivek Murthy, does have a problem getting confirmed by the Senate, and the problem is called the National Rifle Association. Murthy has spoken out about gun violence as a public health issue. The NRA doesn't like that, and they let lawmakers know. Republicans have more or less uniformly come out against his nomination, and a few skittish Democrats have joined them. So that is why his nomination isn't going anywhere. 
A media system that actually sought to explain Washington would make this clear. As for the talk about dysfunction, maybe it's time to drop that frame altogether. Clearly, Washington is working just fine for certain interest groups. My goal with this show is to inform, inspire, and activate listeners to push for positive change. With the support of listeners, I've been able to expand what we do here and make the show better over time. And the only way to continue doing that, to grow and improve, is with your support. I don't need a giant pile of money to run this show. I just need a steady, dependable stream of 5 and $10 monthly donations from people like you. For signing up, you'll also get access to special bonus content, including some behind-the-scenes stuff and more of my comments. If you believe in the mission of this show as much as I do, please help it continue to grow and improve by becoming a member today. Details are on the membership page at bestofleft.com. Thanks so much for your support. Over the past seven days, the Ebola epidemic has continued to rage in West Africa, where nearly 10,000 have been infected. So naturally, in the United States, wall-to-wall coverage fixated on the United States. No wonder, including patient number one, the late Thomas Eric Duncan, who arrived from Liberia infected, two nurses whom he infected, and the New York doctor just returned ill from Guinea, the total of cases diagnosed in this country has skyrocketed to four. And tonight, Ebola has come roaring back into the news. All it took was a suspected case in the nation's largest population center, New York City. Without a travel ban, travelers with undiagnosed cases of Ebola can appear in our emergency rooms. The World Health Organization says it missed the writing on the wall with Ebola. But now that the virus is hopping across the globe, is it too late to stop it? My brother is a critical care doctor. He would tell you right off the bat, this thing is easier to get than you believe. No, it isn't. Which may explain why the cases of Ebola transmission in this country are confined to healthcare workers who were in direct physical contact with a dying patient exhibiting full-blown symptoms, as opposed to, say, anyone who may have encountered the infected travelers on a plane or subway before they were symptomatic, or anyone else in Dallas or New York, or you. The threat to the U.S. public is infinitesimal, but the hysteria is full-blown. Even a school teacher's trip to Dallas was enough to cause a panic in Maine. Last night, workers disinfected a Cleveland school because a teacher may have had contact with an Ebola patient. Syracuse University canceled an appearance by Pulitzer Prize-winning photojournalist Michael Ducille because he was in Liberia three weeks ago. Watching this unfold, you can draw two different conclusions about the news media as an institution. One possibility is that we've simply not figured out how to balance the public's right to know against the danger of shouting fire in a crowded theater. The other is that we're too financially dependent on the audiences we generate to slow down when reporting mutates into fear-mongering. Either way, the national hyperventilation became so severe in the last two weeks that Fox News Channel's Shepard Smith tried to call a timeout. These are the facts. We do not have an outbreak of Ebola in the United States. Nowhere. Suggestions have been made publicly 
that leaders and medical professionals may be lying to us. Those suggestions are completely without basis in fact. Smith went on to dispense the smartest public health advice of the week, get a flu shot. Bless his heart. Although, of course, the rest of Fox News was pretty much hysteria ground to zero. Meanwhile, we have a border that is so porous, Ebola or ISIS or Ebola on the backs of ISIS could come through our border. In fact, throughout the U.S. media last week, unlike the physical nation, Ebola was rampant. The story dominated every front page, and according to the Tyndall report, in the past three weeks consumed 28% of the big three networks' combined news holes, 200 39 minutes of coverage on ABC, CBS, and NBC. And of those 239 minutes, exactly 28 were devoted to West Africa, where the epidemic actually resides. And so, for the listener seeking a template for simple perspective, On the Media presents the Breaking News Consumer Handbook Infectious Disease Edition. Item number one. Pathogen outbreaks are like shootings. The early reports will be frantic, decontextualized, and at least half wrong. All right, so the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control, are confirming the first Ebola case that's been diagnosed in the United States. They do not go into detail about where... When the patient first presented in Dallas, most of the stories forgot to include the information that... Oh, Ebola is only contagious through bodily fluids, right? It's not an airborne disease. Kelly McBride of the Pointer Institute. When the alarms begin, she says, the public needs to resist the impulse to stampede in terror. Ask who is shouting fire and how far away the fire is and how hot is the flame and which way is the wind blowing. And that's a lot to ask of the news consumer. But the consumer has to develop a new set of skills. Item number two, noise level is not a measure of risk level. So don't let the sheer volume become the message. To the extent that there is factual information and useful information in there, it may simply get overwhelmed. Rutgers University political scientist David Redlosk directs the Rutgers Eagleton poll where researchers quantified how Ebola news overconsumption yielded under comprehension. We asked how easy is it to transmit Ebola from a sick person and 36% thought it was very easy, while 31% thought somewhat easy, when the correct answer really is not very easy at all. That statistic was demoralizing, but not as demoralizing as the result when heavy consumers of the Ebola story were polled. Nearly half of them thought Ebola was very easy to transmit. Item number three. On cable TV and Twitter, breaking news usually isn't. More likely, it's incremental and superfluous. Turn off push notifications to avoid the noise. Item number four, if the CDC says worry, worry. Take precautions. If the CDC says don't worry, don't worry, even if they themselves seem a bit overwhelmed. In our age of 24-hour news and Twitter and so on, it's very hard for anyone in government to display a learning curve without being accused of incompetence. Laurie Garrett is Senior Fellow for Global Health at the Council on Foreign Relations. 
Earlier this month, she published a Washington Post op-ed debunking Ebola's five biggest myths. She also cautions against cherry-picking news reports for details that validate primal fears. I think that the fear of new microbes is visceral. It's in our DNA. It probably has protected humans for millennia from walking right into the next village over and getting themselves exposed to something that was circulating in that village. It's nutty when you get to the vaccine era, the antibiotic era, and the age of jet travel, because we still find that very easily that visceral response can be tapped into and manipulated by political forces, by individuals who claim some great conspiracy theory. Or by your own inner panic button. Hence, item number five: your worst fears are a poor touchstone. Don't filter out information that discredits them. Pay close attention to sentences that begin with "but." They often can be translated as "never mind." Item number six: Hollywood is pretend. On day one, there were two people, and then four, and then sixteen. In three months, it's a billion. That's where we're heading. They're calling out the National Guard. They're moving the president underground. People will panic. Hollywood is pretend. Hollywood is pretend. That clip, which we trot out for the second time this month, is from the 2011 disaster thriller Contagion. As much as it resembled CNN yesterday, it is not a documentary. Watching movies to learn about medicine is like reading the congressional record to learn about dance. On the subject of considering the source, please note that last week R&B singer Chris Brown tweeted to his 13.5 million followers his suspicion that Ebola is a population control conspiracy. Aha! Item number seven: Pay no attention to what any celebrity thinks about science, medicine, or public health. Brown and Jenny McCarthy are fools. Madonna once told Oprah that yoga changes the molecular structure of your body. It doesn't. Public idiocy, of course, is not confined to celebrities. We also have politicians for that, including cynics and demagogues who exploit unreasonable fears for electoral ends, and they know the public's soft spots. Pointers, Kelly McBride. Be aware. Of the xenophobic overtones or the racial overtones that can infect the attitudes in the United States, we're not condemning anybody, but there are elements of race and xenophobia in our fear, and I think we would be foolish to ignore our own history of racism and xenophobia and suggest that we're completely over that. And because yapping politicians make news, item number eight: within two weeks of an outbreak, posturing congressmen will call for borders to be closed. Ignore them. This has nothing to do with epidemiology, and everything to do with nationalist politics. To conclude, and this really does sum up everything, we turn once again to Fox's Shepard Smith. Someday. Something may start spreading that they can't control, and then you know what we're going to have to do? We're going to have to relax and listen to leaders. We're not going to panic when we're supposed to, and we're certainly not going to panic now. We have to stop it.
Hi, this is Mike in Michigan. Um, I just wanted to respond or reiterate the recent uh, voicemail left by the lady in Berlin on your healthcare episode. As you can probably tell, I'm not from uh, Michigan natively, from, I'm from the UK. I just wanted to kind of share my experience on the healthcare uh, issue. So obviously I'm from the UK with the NHS. I mean, apart from the occasional long sort of wait in the A&E there, I don't really have much bad stuff to say there. You know, I was born there, my three other siblings born there. And generally, if you try to take NHS away from anybody in the UK, I think you'll have a riot on your hands there. And then I moved to um, South Africa when I was about 20. And there you've got a kind of a two-tiered system due to mostly, I guess, due to the political kind of situation over there, where you have a sort of heavily overworked and underfunded public uh, healthcare system that is available to everybody. But then if you have a little bit of money, you can afford to buy into the private healthcare system which is very different uh, to the U.S., where, where you're, you can afford to buy, pay your premiums, they're relatively affordable, and there's no deductibles, or at least I couldn't, you know, for me there was no deductible, and very little issue about getting the coverage and getting the kind of services uh, from your insurance. Uh, after that, I moved to Germany and became kind of part of the automotive industry, which ultimately led me here. So in Germany, it was where my first son was born and obviously in the healthcare system there you still have some sort of insurance but ultimately yeah, quite expensive my insurance was 14% of my um, my salary but we personally made good use of it I also broke my back in a um, accident in the Alps and I spent seven days in hospital over the new year it cost me uh, ten dollars or ten euros I think for the whole experience, got about eight weeks of physiotherapy afterwards, all of that covered by my insurance, like I said, my first son was born there, my wife got monthly scans, excellent hospital facilities, so there was no kind of, you know, this evil socialist medicine is going to give you rubbish doctors and poor service, that definitely isn't the case in Germany, and then two years ago we moved here to Michigan, where we have my second son. And I was kind of interested to see what the sort of experience was going to be. I'm told I have fairly good health insurance. My employer pay, pays it all. I have a high deductible, $4,000, but I'm told that this is reasonable. I was kind of horrified at first when I learned that this was going to be the situation. And in terms of the quality, which I'm always being told about, is the reason why you don't want to have a sort of socialized medicine is because the quality goes down, I can assure you that's really not the case in terms of the experience between having a child in Germany and having a child in America. I would go to Germany to do that again. The, we had It felt very much like the same system in the UK in America. You have a limited number of scans unless you're willing to pay more. The hospital experience was felt like a production line. It was great that we had room service, but ultimately we were there for one goal. And I felt that in Germany you had a much that sort of goal was achieved uh, much better. And then to the caller from Berlin, talking about the kind of pressures and stress that come from the U.S. system, that's absolutely true. I feel that daily that I'm kind of worried about the healthcare situation, even if I apparently have reasonable health insurance. It's constantly playing on my mind, making sure I've got my. HSA account filled up so I can afford this, making sure that I've got a bit of extra if I need to have some sort of emergency dental work or whatever. So, you know, I would pay that 14% salary 
every time to get the coverage that I had in Germany again or the similar system to the UK where you know you don't have the issue of 120,000 people not being covered still because if you're in there you're covered I just wanted to give you my two cents I love the show keep it up cheers bye Hey Jay, Vessel Left. This is Dan Platt from Albany, New York. I just wanted to say how I liked the last few episodes. All the topics covered. Um, it's almost like what I've been mentioning. I call in every year asking for certain topics. If you do have any detractors, detractors, let me just say I'm a supporter. And um, any detractors probably need some cold water thrown on them, like I did in 2010 uh, after the 2010 election. I remember very clearly when Chuck Uger the Young Turks gave kind of a rousing rant about how we not need to stop supporting Democrats because they're Democrats. It, it was as clear as day, and then that's when my politics started to change. We all have to kind of go on a personal journey to get to a better place where we have less cognitive distance and, and stop and getting over fear we have about Republicans. So I want to segue that into kind of the five areas of action that you kind of touched on in, in, past, in these past episodes and can go forward with. Because so many arguments I've been in about what is the best area to act in. So here's five, and that they can tie together and that they're all needed. So for example, to build economic reform movements and pair them with social justice movements because one does not solve racism without solving capitalism. They really need to go together um, and infuse them with, well, leftist points of views. You know, you have maker movements and the dreamers. You have single payer. You fight for 15. These are all reform movements. You're reforming the entire system, and you are targeting, you know, the one percent, the multinational, the bigs. You know, you're targeting going from the top down in that way. So the second that ties with the second kind of area, which is to build up, to create experiments in a more cooperative society start co-ops, to build eco-villages, uh, join the transition town movement, or the new economy movement, which you covered. There's permaculture, and there's participatory, participatory budgeting. I'm uh, investigating time banking, and there's the thing called a mutual aid network, you know, man up, building civic power. So economic reform targets the top, and this targets the bottom. It's like a pincer, pincer approach. A third area is then getting a new U.S. left electoral strategy to basically fight the quagmire that is Democrats and Republicans. Starts with public campaign financing, whether for grant blocks or the kind of public matching funds. There's better ways of doing it. I prefer grants. You can kind of use runoff voting as an intermediate step, but we want to get to proportional representation like in Europe and many other industrial societies. There's a lot of up-and-coming left parties uh, in New York. We have a Green Party candidate who's about to get 10% of the vote, more than we've ever gotten before. Any third-party independent party has gotten before. And we're doing so because there are tons of independents and tons of Democrats that are fed up with how things have gone. That's basically they're all bought, at least on the national level. The fourth area is the form strategies to defend our victories, to organize mass resistance, and to think about how we don't comply with whether it be austerity or otherwise. 
The fifth area has been kind of thinking, developing theory, writing the papers, doing the research, developing clear proposals and policy. What would we pass if we ever did take power? How would we then distribute power so that we didn't become the next tyrant? So different political groups can then work in those different areas, and they don't even have to work together all the time, but it's always been a very contentious issue to to argue about what's the thing we should do first, what is, if, if one thing is better than another. My experience over the past three years of being an occupied organizer is that they're all necessary. We should all just pick what we think we'd be most interested in and go from there. Trip and fall, but get back up. As I usually sign off, we can do it. It's a long slog, but it's better than sitting on one's hands and thinking that someone else is going to do it. So, thank you for the platform. Have a nice day. Thanks for listening, everyone. Thanks to the volunteers who help gather clips to make the show possible. Thanks to Katie Klubusik for all of her work on our social media outlets and activism segments. And thanks to all those who called into the voicemail line. If you'd like to leave a comment or question of your own to be played on the show, the number to dial is 202-999-3991. And I have to admit today that I did not even see this episode coming. When I started hearing the news about Ebola, I mean, I've been, I've been doing this show for nine years. I am about as cynical as as anyone on the current state of of politics and our system, but when I heard the news on Ebola, I actually thought to myself, oh, interesting, here's a major news story that's probably not going to get politicized. And I mean, I'm I'm still stunned. I I still have the capacity to be surprised. I'm I'm reminded of this, uh, there's an old Lily Tomlin quote that's, you know, vaguely uh, famous where she says something along the lines of, no matter how cynical I get, I can't keep up. And and that that's how I'm having that exact experience today. As, as recently as the day before I produced this show, I was thinking to myself, oh, you know, I, I heard this bit on how the Republicans were being anti-science again in regards to Ebola. So I guess I'll, I'll do a little thing on that. But then the show itself will be sort of like general conservatism stuff. And so they're a little bit anti-science and they're a little bit this and they're a little bit that. And then I started sorting through the clips and I, there was so much, and I couldn't believe that they had politicized Ebola. I, it, it shocks the conscience. Um, but in addition to that Lily Tomlin quote, uh, I was also reminded of the whole concept of, and like, how perfect is this, of the Republicans are, the fever will break. Do you guys remember that? Uh, th- this is Sam Cedar from just almost exactly a year ago when there were they were threatening the government shutdown and there were more people talking about oh th- this government shutdown is going to break the republican fever here listen and these technocrats think that this will break the fever in fact that's what we heard from president obama right before the 2010 election before the 2012 election there is no breaking this fever there is no breaking this fever the fever is a, a temporary state of imbalance this is the state this is them. This is no deviation. So yeah, I think that sums it up pretty well. There is no breaking this fever. This is how it is. Uh, there is no level they will not stoop to. Nothing they will not politicize. And I don't know about you, but it still shocks the conscience for me that they would actually try to politicize Ebola of all things. And 
you know, now before someone calls in and tries to say, hey, the Democrats are politicizing it too, I would agree, but here's the difference. The Democrats are using this as a reminder to say, see, this is what we've been saying all along. We need a well-funded and well-prepared healthcare system that covers everyone. And the conservatives are saying, see, you shouldn't trust science. You should be racist, hate immigrants, and fear anything related to Africa. So it's, it's just not quite the same thing. Now, before I go, though, there's been uh, one more guest has come in on the uh, on the what's wrong with Jay's voice game that we have going on. This is a contest with no prizes. Uh, to be fair, I'm recording this episode a little bit early, so not a lot of time has gone by. So I've only gotten one more guest that's come in. And here it is. Hey, Dave, this is Craig. I'm calling from Minnesota. I was wondering, I don't know if anyone has solved your uh, talking uh, problem. Could it be up talking? I don't really think it that bad but i was just wondering if that's the answer that you're looking for up talking another perfectly valid guess still not the right answer please keep those guesses coming in a, a, a listener wrote in brand new listener said he loved the show but he couldn't stand something that i do with my voice and he asked me to stop doing it what is that thing he asked me to stop doing? Uh, I'm fascinated by the guesses that are coming in. Uh, so please keep them coming in either at the voicemail line 202-999-3991 or by writing in through the website. As I said before, I'm going to let this go through the end of the month. The reason partially is to give more time for people to write in with interesting guesses. The other reason is because I'm actually on a little bit of a trip right now. <laughs> by the time this episode is downloading, I will be on a very short little camping trip to go see some foliage, which should, should be lovely. And then that's going to flow right into a, a family trip and visiting with the, the sibling and some nephews and some things like that. And so all that's just going to be happening through the end of the month. And then the next, uh, so there, there'll be a rerun episode between uh, now and election day actually but then election day will be the next uh new show because that's just how the calendar works out so until then that's going to be it for today thanks to everyone for listening thanks to those who support the show by becoming a member or making one-time donations as that is absolutely how the program survives of course everyone can support the show just by telling everyone you know about it leaving glowing reviews on itunes and stitcher and by donating your accounts at donateyouraccount.com slash best of left Stay tuned into the show by joining up with us on Facebook and Twitter and for details on the show itself, including links to all of the sources and music used in this and every episode, all that information can always be found in the show notes on the blog. So coming to you from inside the Beltway yet outside the conventional wisdom of Washington, D.C., my name is Jay and this has been the Best of the Left podcast coming to you every third day thanks entirely to the members and donors to the show from bestoftheleft.com. And it's a cry and shame how we get so trained We can see past our own sad stories And wonder what we're missing We can see past our own sad stories And forget how to listen We can see past our own sad stories And wonder what we're doing can see